after a gruelling first quarter of 2023? What's on the mind of private equity practitioners in the European market? What solutions and liquidity options are sponsors turning to in a bid to get new deals and exits done? And how have growth and venture investors fared against this tough macro backdrop? We'll be discussing all this and more on today's episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. Hello, listener, and welcome to this new episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. My name's Harriet Matthews. I'm Funds Editor at Unquote Emerger Market, and I'll be your host for today's episode, where we'll be diving in to some of the figures and events that have shaped Q1 2023 and taking a look at how these are likely to predict and shape what's to come for the remainder of the year. I'll start off by giving you a few of the headline stats on buyouts and fundraising. So after a fall in buyout activity in the second half of 2022, 2023 got off to a bit of a shaky start. Aggregate buyout value and volume is significantly down year on year this quarter, with just 9.9 billion euros recorded across 95 buyouts. That makes this quarter down 85% on Q1 2022 in terms of value, with deal volume also falling by 70%. Both deal value and volume stand at around half of what was recorded in Q1 2020. And putting this in context, it's not just been a slow quarter compared with the last time the industry was in crisis in recent years. This quarter also marks the lowest figures seen since Q1 2009. Diving into that data a little bit for this quarter, according to preliminary figures from Unquote Data, this quarter just saw two large-cap European buyouts. So in January, CVC acquired a majority stake in Denmark-based Scan Global Logistics, a transport and logistics services provider, which reportedly valued the business at $1.5 billion. And in February, Pamira's acquisition of financial services research and analytics provider Acuity Knowledge Partners from Equistone added around $1.3 to $1.5 billion of additional buyout value, according to reporting from our sister publication, Merger Market. Now, by volume, looking at sectors now, business support services, perhaps unsurprisingly, accounted for 24% of deal flow, with software and computer services in second place at 18%. By value, business support services made up 38% of activity, with software and computer services at around 12%, making that sector fall into third place behind the 15% of aggregate value taken up by industrial transportation, largely thanks to that SCAN global logistics deal that I mentioned. Now, taking a look at fundraising... Funds classed as buyout and generalist and unquote data raised 60 billion euros across 18 closes in Q1 2023. That's actually a 75% increase versus the amount raised in Q1 2022. And it even holds up well versus the 66.9 billion euros raised in Q1 2021. But the volume of funds that has closed is down by almost half year on year this quarter. That large aggregate value figure is largely down to some large fund closes from Dial Capital Partners, Pamira and Warburg Pincus. So it remains to be seen how the smaller managers will cut through to get to their fundraising targets and boost that volume figure in particular as the year goes on. But bear in mind that this, uh, this fundraising situation this quarter comes on top of the 241 billion euros raised in total in 2022 and the 281 billion in 2021. 
So even if fundraising is tough, there's still plenty of pressure to deploy private equity's infamous stores of dry powder. So now that we have the headline figures for the quarter, we're going to hear from our private equity reporting team who have been speaking to their sources and crunching the numbers around a few of Q1 2023's key issues and trends. So to kick things off, I'm pleased to welcome again my colleague Rachel Lewis, private equity reporter at Unquote and Merger Market. Rachel, welcome again to the podcast. Thanks, Harry. It's good to be here. Absolutely. Now, obviously, no one's thought that the first quarter of this year would be plain sailing for private equity. Um, or for any kind of financial industry players, in fact. But the first three months of the year have certainly thrown up a few events that perhaps haven't helped some of the issues we were speaking about the last time we were sitting here, you know, reviewing 2022 and looking ahead to 2023. What's your kind of take on on what's been happening? Yeah, I, I know what you mean. The The last quarter of 2022 was particularly very difficult, but there was a lot of hope for Q1. And then Silicon Valley Bank and Credit Suisse happened, which kind of saw a bit of a fallout. Obviously, it is quite well contained at the moment, and it hasn't had yet too much of an impact investments into private assets, particularly private equity. Um, but obviously, you know, you said in the intro, markets are already down to add to that data, um, financial sponsors this quarter took just a share of 10% of buyouts, according to Dialogic data in the first quarter. Um, so yeah, we had the the small bank crisis, um, but many private equity firms at the moment are kind of in sit and wait mode from the ones that, that we speak to, to see how this crisis might further impact fundraising and M&A. And any kind of nearer term impacts that you're seeing at all? Has it changed people's mindset at all? Yeah, I, I think the answer is kind of. Um, if anything, it's drawn attention to liquidity across the whole financial and services sector, but particularly as regards to financial sponsors. We all know that private equity has had to grapple recently with a wider inability to raise capital through their funds and make exits, which is kind of creating a, a bit of an issue over how much money they have to deploy and also their own balance sheets as well and how they're able to develop as a firm. And I think a good recent example of how this is playing out, although as not a direct impact of the banks, is if you look at KKR's latest buyout fund, which was uh, announced quite recently, it made quite a big commitment really from its own balance sheet. Um, so it's an $8 billion fund and it committed over a billion dollars, which is a 12.5% GP stake, which is really quite large in the grand scheme of things. Uh, and then it's also worth pointing out that even though we don't know the exact figures, uh, Nordic Capital also talked of an increased GP commitment in its latest buyout vehicle. Yeah, I think gone are the days where it used to be kind of potentially a single digit percent um, to just add a bit of skin in the game. It's more than just skin at this point. Um, I'm not going to extend the metaphor any further than that, but it's certainly, um, you know, people are really having to convince their LPs, I think, that they are in this with them. They have confidence in investing into the current market because although people constantly say that now is a good time to be investing because interest rates are going up, valuations are going down, there's more market dislocation. Um, it's still, you know, it's far from certain, I suppose. And uh, definitely kind of adding large GP commitments to funds are 
one way to kind of get more capital to get a bit more liquidity there. Um, but you know, you mentioned KKR; they've obviously got a pretty significant balance sheet. They've got the resources to add that much into their funds. What else is kind of available to sponsors um, at you know management company level and, and beyond? Yeah, it's a very good point. Obviously, KKR and Nordic are. Uh, well-established GPs very much in the position to be able to commit this kind of capital. But there are a lot of smaller players who are struggling to fundraise at the moment who perhaps don't have that resources within their own balance sheet, but then do need to be able to balance sheet to grow their balance sheet to kind of grow as a firm. So it's kind of in between a rock and a hard place at the moment. But we have seen a kind of new emergence of GP stakes starting to make its way into the European market. I think this has largely been the reserve of the US before, uh, but there's one player, Armin, uh, which is a French fund, um, which has just told a first close of 150 million euros on its first GP stakes fund and told us quite recently that it's it's looking to make its first deal soon. This is is steering very clear of um, emerging managers. So it will only be taking GP stakes in companies perhaps at their second, third or, or above that fund. But, you know, selling a GP stake, I think, doesn't have a lot of stigma t- to it attached and is something that a lot of managers are exploring as a way to to bring that cash in a to grow their own balance sheet b for more liquidity and c if to go back to gp commitments to their own funds if they do need to do that to bring more lps on board then it's a a ticket to do that yeah definitely and we've seen lp appetite for that bit of the asset class as well um as you say more from the us side but dial capital partners um raised 12.9 billion dollars for that uh, fund their their latest gp stakes one uh their fifth fund um and that was in in january so that kind of got the quarter off to a strong start in terms of fundraising and um yeah it will be very interesting to see how smaller players maybe take advantage of that um people such as Armin developing strategies Absolutely. And and let's not forget as well, on, on the M&A side, even though it's difficult to make full exits at the moment, people are doing minority stake sales. Uh, there's a rise in GP-led continuation funds, which we're going to explore a little bit later in the podcast, which are also helping liquidity. And then there's also a rise in NAV financing as well. I think um, 17 Capital uh, recently said that, that 2022 saw a 50% increase in the deal volume for NAV financing and expects the market to triple by 2023. So I think um, despite you know the, the chaos of the past year or quarter and the bank crisis, private equity and as- private assets in general as an asset class have proved themselves to be incredibly creative in how they work through all of these various different scenarios. And I think it will be you know, a really interesting next year as, as to how they deal with these liquidity issues. Absolutely. Um, this will be a big test on portfolio company level as well. Um, all of that flowing back to the, the sponsor and it's, you know, the funds themselves. So um, yeah, stay, stay tuned. Well, thank you, Rachel. It's been uh, great to have you. Thanks for sharing your thoughts with me. Thank you very much, Harriet. We're now going to hear from Min Ho, who covers private equity for Merger Market and Unquote. Min, welcome again to the podcast. Thank you. 
Now, I know that you have been looking at and thinking a bit about uh, GP-led secondaries and continuation funds, which I think is an issue that's definitely kind of risen in prominence again in this quarter. What would you say from what you've been kind of seeing and hearing are the kind of the trends really behind uh, the use or the growing use of continuation funds? Well, I think uh, looking at the macroeconomic backdrop, I think it will be particularly interesting to see what the trends are um, um, with continuation funds. Um, I, I mean, so far over the past quarters, have we seen an, quite a number of continuation funds uh, popping up, um, including from a lot of the mid-cap sponsors uh, uh, on the continent. Um Given the hawkish uh, interest rate environment, um, I think this would likely create a double whammy for some sponsors. High interest rates uh, means that bidders would obviously struggle to raise financing. Um, and meanwhile, GPs believing their assets is worth X could try to hold on for longer. Um, this already uh, well reflected in some of our deal activity write, uh, write-ups um, and bankers would uh, probably um, say the same. But um, um, adding further stress um, to this, I believe, is the earnings contraction, which I don't hear a lot of people talk about, but could be uh, increasingly well reflected um, um, in the second half of this year um, as uh, higher interest rates look to uh, remain at uh, elevated levels and that inevitably cools off the uh, economy. Again, some sponsors, in this case, hoping to attract the right valuations, may be reluctant to sell the businesses at uh, at this moment. So, um, I think the solution for uh, some L- uh, some GPs will be to look at continuation funds, um, either to delay a sale or even perhaps to offload it to um, other investors, uh, secondary GPs, etc. But um, of course, on the flip side, some GPs may argue that their assets are performing uh, amazingly and, you know, would be keen to remain in an asset via continuation funds, um, you know, uh, with uh, uh, um, LPs, um, existing LPs um, joining the ranks. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it a lot of it goes back to uh, what I've just been talking about with Rachel um, on just the need for liquidity, um, yeah. fundraising markets for private equity. Um, we've heard from various people in the market are really not going to kind of be able to get back to normal until LP distributions can be at a kind of satisfactory rate. And exits were very much down uh, last year um, after you know, a pretty strong year in, in 2021, which is affecting whether LPs can commit to, to new funds. So exactly, it's sponsors, as you say, um, needing to perhaps do something with assets that they don't want to exit right now, but give a bit of liquidity um, to, their, to their limited partners and their funds. Um, and it's interesting, actually, you know, GP-led secondaries and continuation funds, the way we talk about them now, their roots are in the kind of term you don't hear very much anymore, which is tail end funds. So they weren't viewed as positively a few years ago. It was sort of just something to to be done with the the assets that were there at the end of a fund's lifetime. Uh, they could be wrapped up and sort of put elsewhere with different investors that were willing to maybe back them for the longer term. But now, obviously, um, you know, as you say, some sponsors are arguing these are their best performing assets. They need to exit them, but it's not the right time. 
what you say about earnings contraction is, is important, I think, because we don't know what we're going to see in the second half of this year or, you know, even starting in Q2. It's going to be a really big test for portfolio companies. So it'll be very interesting to see what sort of things are coming to market on the GP-led secondary side and, and you know, what sponsors can make as, as an argument for, for how they're performing. And thinking about kind of examples of this recently, um, are there any you found particularly interesting, Min, or that you wanted to highlight? Well, it's, uh, th- there are a few uh, uh, GPs which um, raised quite significant uh, numbers um, uh, on continuation funds. Um, I, I suppose uh, DPE um, uh, is one of them. Um, they raised se- uh, around $700 million, uh continuation fund for to IT consultancy uh, that they've held. Um, others are perhaps a, a bit smaller size. Uh, Bensis, um, they raised around, uh, slightly more than 100 million uh, for some of the uh, uh, assets on the fourth fund. Uh, Capiton, they raised around 250 million uh, euros on the continuation fund for some of their uh, fifth fund um, assets. Um, so yeah, I think that, um, it'll be interesting to see where that goes, um, in the coming quarters. Definitely. And, um, will be interesting to see as well if fundraising actually keeps pace with the amount of capital that is needed to address a lot of these GP led deals that's going to be, that are going to be, uh, coming to market. I took a look at the fundraising figures for secondaries, um, funds, just the, the ones that we track on unquote data. So those with a kind of European mandate in in, in some part. Uh, going back to 2020, those secondaries funds accounted for 22% of the capital raised uh, by, by, you know, private assets, um, including venture, um, you know, the, the ones that we track on, on unquote data, as I said. Um, so that 22% was partly because of some really significant large final closes by Ardian, Lexington and Goldman Sachs. Looking at 2021, which was a very strong fundraising year, they accounted for 11% of the total raised. And in 2022, it was 13%. Just this quarter, they're accounting for 25% of the total funds raised. And that's partly down to that massive $22 billion uh, dollar fundraise by Blackstone, but we will be keeping an eye on you know what portion of the total fundraising market they account for, because there are you know there's people at, at every bit of the market. As you said, there's quite a sort of strong trend for mid cap, lower mid cap players, uh, you know, picking up this as a potential solution for their assets. So yeah, will be very interesting. Interesting to see what happens there. I agree. Um, just as a kind of anecdote, um, I, I recently spoke to a GP um, who was doing um, um, a continuation fund, um, and um, they privately admitted to me that uh, some of the uh, their LPs have been frustrated by the use of these structures. You know, one of the the LPs um, who eventually signed um, made it clear in no uncertain terms that this will be one of their last continuation funds they are asked to join. So um, as you can imagine, a lot of LPs are um, frustrated um, um, with continuation funds because of various um, issues, whether that might be, uh, you know, not being involved in 
um, a competitive auction process process and um, getting the best um, uh, best returns um, out of the uh, their assets. Yeah, exactly. That's certainly one of the factors that could be holding back the growth, just LP fatigue um, with the fact that, um, and I think this sort of term has come up a few times there, they're having to make asset level decisions increasingly when what they're typically set up to do is is not to do that. It's to make decisions on which which funds and portfolios they're going to invest in. So, you know, Possibly there's there's room for um, more of that secondary's capital being raised by secondary sponsors to be to be taking over in those cases. But uh, yeah, absolutely valid, very valid point uh, to to raise. I think. Thank you so much, Min, for taking the time to speak to me and our listeners today. It's been great to have you on the podcast. I'm now pleased to welcome my colleague Iro Patsakulaki, who covers private equity for Unquote and Merger Market. Eero, thank you very much for joining. Yeah, thanks very much, Harriet, for for having me. Thank you. No problem at all. Now, I know you have been taking a look at what's been happening in the kind of venture and growth capital industry, particularly over this quarter. It's had a bit of a, a tough time, clearly. That's not new, but this quarter perhaps has exacerbated some of the problems that were already there, much like we've seen in the kind of private equity space. Can you give me and our listeners a bit of an overview? What's happening in the market at the moment? Yes, exactly. I think um, things are exactly how you described. There, there has there have been quite some events in the first quarter, especially with the the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank and then the Credit Suisse uh, kind of rescue situation, which kind of echoes what happens in the private equity uh, market. So I thought it would be interesting to talk a bit on on this episode about the venture capital um, space, which um of course as i said the silicon valley bank has um an impact on the space as we know it 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 was a major like lender for mm-hmm. uh tech startups um but it's important to note that although that's kind of a major in- event that happened in the quarter um we do not we hear from sources that it is not expected to have such a big direct impact on uh venture capital uh markets in europe um and espe- but it's important to remember that the vc space more broadly has been experiencing a slowdown for quite some time possibly from the second quarter of last year uh given the the whole macro condition it, when it comes to high interest rates um it's quite difficult for uh vc firms to raise capital and for startups to secure uh funding so this is a situation that has been ongoing and then with the credit suisse situation um, what most of our sources and what Merger Market and Unquote has been publishing as well um, is that the sentiment for the VC space is also hurt by these incidents, further hurt. Um, so yes, so it's the market is shaken and I think most people will have largely a wait and see kind of approach. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, VCs are very much in the same position as private equity firms in that they have capital to deploy, but, you know, could be, could be slowing a bit. We obviously had a record year in, in 2021 in terms of capital deployment for, for VC. Um, 
listeners, if you could see the kind of deal flow graph that Eero and I are looking at, it's it's very much on a downward trajectory to, to no one's surprise, I think. Um, so maybe we should dive into the data there a bit. Um, can you talk us through what's been happening in fundraising, Eero? How's the VC space been getting on sort of this quarter and, and last year? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, like, obviously, as you said, it's a very different landscape compared to 2021 and the first quarter of 2022. So things have actually changed, um, dramatically. Um, I just wanted to, before I take us through some of our data points from Uncode, uh, data, um, I think it's interesting just to bring some optimism that some of the, of our sources are saying that although, uh, valuations are having have dropped. Um, maybe we will start seeing a more healthy and more reasonable valuations going forward, as well as um, the timings uh, to execute deals have become a little bit slower. And this is a more reasonable space, uh, which might actually help VC firms identify still some good opportunities in a more calm and reasonable environment. Yeah, healthy reality check. I think that's a very good point. So just to look a little bit on our data. So it actually reflects what we've been uh, talking about. So if we compare the first quarter um, of this year, with the last year, we see a 76% drop uh, when it comes to funds that held the final close in, in the quarter. Um, it is quite similar when we look at uh, first closings um, in terms of the drop. Um, same with the new fund registrations. They've dropped by more than half if we compare a quarter to, to quarter. It might be interesting to just mention uh, the four, the just four funds that uh, held the final close um, in this quarter. Uh, there's actually an interesting case. It's the German seed investor, uh, high-tech Gründer Funds, mm -hmm. which closed uh, their fund in February, their fourth fund, actually. Mm -hmm. And it's quite interesting because it was uh, 500 million and it's their biggest fund so far. Mm -hmm. So that may be a bright, a bright spot. Yes. And they invest um, at very early stages, don't they? And my understanding is that the kind of valuation contraction isn't hitting those types of portfolios as hard. And I know that, um, you know, they've got kind of uh, links to the, the German state, I believe, as well as, as a firm. And that's quite important because I think it comes back to the idea, you know, to inject a bit more optimism of just backing long-term trends and technology. Um, so, uh, yeah, very good one to, to mention for sure. Yes, yes. No, I think, I think you're right on all these, uh, points. Um, and then maybe just briefly mention some of the others, which was, um, the Milan based, uh, VC house Panakes partners, mm -hmm. which closed their second fund in February as well on 175 million euros. And maybe also Planet A fund, um, which is a European green tech software and uh, hardware sponsor which also managed to to hold a, a final close in the beginning of the year in January at uh, 160 million euros, mm. which was like against their target allocation of 100 euros. So these are some, um, some good examples. And maybe briefly, we can touch a bit on 
the the whole deal flow and activity, which unfortunately is also um, seeing a big drop in terms of the total value of deals that happened between the quarters, the first quarter of this year compared to last year, we've seen about 88% drop. Um, in the value of deals. And again, the number of deals that we've seen happening is, has a similar, uh, percentage drop. And, um, from seven, from 584 deals last year, this year, we just saw 92 in these first three months. Yeah. So, you know, valuation or the, the aggregate value is, is down. And, as you say, deal flow is down. I think those larger kind of pre-IPO rounds are certainly few and far between. Um, although, again, to inject you know a little bit of optimism, um, you know, you and, and our listeners will have probably seen the announcement of the one hundred and twenty-nine million dollar funding round by Quantexa, um, which I think is a UK-based um, AI decision intelligence platform uh, that was backed by GS. GIC, as well as, uh, you know, a whole group of existing investors, including Warburg Pincus, Dawn Capital, British Patient Capital, um, and, and several more. Um, so, you know, these uh, these companies are clearly still able to raise equity, they're able to raise debt. But as you say, the, the environment is more challenging. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good good to, to have some bright spots and some optimism, but um, unfortunately, it's a tough situation. Exactly. And, um, you know, we will be sure to keep um, you, our listeners, posted on uh, different VC strategies and, and fundraisers and, and the outlook throughout the rest of the year. So thank you very much, Eero, for, for joining me and, and delving into the VC market with me. It's been great to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for your time. Looking forward to next time. And thank you, listener, for tuning in. If you like the podcast, please don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you again in the next episode.